0: Years ago, when I began my ministry and pastoring, I would have the opportunity to visit with people. And oftentimes, I would visit with people that had been in in church 30, 40, 50 years of their life, maybe even beyond that. And, And they would tell me about their church experience and all that the church meant to them. And on an occasion, when I felt impressed to do it, I would ask them a question. Not necessarily so much that I was, I was concerned, maybe they didn't know the Lord. But the reality is, is that each and every one of us face the reality of death. And there is going to be a judgment after death. And there will be an eternity that will be spent in either heaven with Christ or in hell. And so, in my mind, to spend a life in hell, the remainder of your life in eternity in hell, in anguish, crying out to God, why didn't the pastor talk to me about the gospel? Why didn't somebody in my family talk to me about the gospel? I feel impressed oftentimes to ask people a very simple question. If you die today... And you find yourself standing in front of the judge, Jesus Christ, and he were to ask you a simple question like this, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? What would you say? And oftentimes these active people, oftentimes they were, they were Sunday school teachers. Sometimes they were deacons in the church. They were very active in the life of the church. And they could talk to you about the very, how special the church was uh, meant to them. They would answer the question something like this. Well, I've done my best. I've tried real hard. Some of the other answers to their question might go something like this I've been involved in church all of my life. I, I feel like I've been a good person, I, I've, I've been very committed to the church. I'm very sincere in my belief. And here's one of the answers that I often heard from people. They would say something along this line, uh, along this line. You know what? That, that's just the way I was brought up. That's that's the way I was brought up and talking about their beliefs. And I often wondered if they answered a question like that and maybe they were brought up in a, in a different place and they weren't brought up with Christian parents, but they had been confronted with the gospel. Would they always just look at the gospel and say, you know what, I wasn't brought up that way. Would that be their answer? You know, they might say, you know what, I've been a pretty good guy. I, I know the difference between the good religious guys and the bad religious guys. I know the difference between good people and bad people. And I'm not the bad people, and I'm not one of the bad religious persons. I attended a funeral quite a few years ago and a pastor was trying to give comfort to the family that their loved one had gone to be with Christ or gone to heaven. He was struggling real hard because the life that this particular individual lived, even though he had church membership and he would uh, occasionally attend two or three times out of the year, his life did not bear testimony to genuine faith in Jesus Christ. So in the effort to give some kind of comfort to the family, the pastor looked up in the church rolls and, and announced to the family, I just want to let you know something. Back in 1926, this person professed faith in Jesus Christ and was Baptized. And that was his form of comfort. This person went through a ritual, but all evidence said that they never experienced a genuine heart change in their life. Paul here is outlining, he's contrasting with those who focus on outward religiosity and ritual and outward things to the gospel that changes us in our heart. It changes us from the inside and out. And we see that contrast here and we need that clarity because their voices, their voices, our own voices, as I mentioned in our prayer, we want to justify ourselves and make us feel like we are better than other people. We look down upon other people. And so what we're doing is we're we're basically saying we're believing in another gospel. We're believing in a gospel of works to justify, to make me feel that I'm better than other people by what I do, by what I believe, or whatever along those lines, that somehow we're better than others. That's a false gospel. Anytime we find ourselves judging others and putting others down, as if we are not guilty before holy God ourselves. We are believing a false gospel. We're adding works to our lives. We're seeking to justify ourselves. And so Paul is trying to give gospel clarity and he's begging for people to imitate him because others were coming and they were infiltrating the church and saying, don't listen to Paul Follow us. You need to observe the Old Testament rituals in order to be justified by by, by God, to have better standing. Yes, you're a Christian, but you need to also add to your belief works. So Paul seeks to bring that clarity. Uh, Look with me, if you would, in verse 1. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul says, "Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord." And here's where I want us to emphasize in this particular verse: to write the same things to you. So Paul has written about this previously. He he has fixed. He has already, as we've read together, presented the gospel. And he said, I've done this before. I've done this repeatedly. This is something I brought up. And you can look at his other epistles and Paul continuously brings up the gospel and he's writing to the church. He's not writing to lost people. He's writing to those gathered together among God's people. And he goes on to say, he this doesn't trouble him, it doesn't bother him that he's being repetitious about this because it's safe for you, it's for your good, it's to guard you, it's for your protection that, that he repeats the gospel. And he points out in this passage the need that we continually need gospel clarity. We've got to come back to this all over and over and over because our mind gets fuzzy. We're forgetful. We need to be reminded. That's one of the reasons why we gather on a regular basis on Sundays so that we can hear the gospel afresh. And sometimes I know there are people saying, you know what, I heard that last week. I heard that message again. And it just seems like we go back to the gospel. Can't we go on to other things? Oh, Lord, forbid not. Forbid us not. Folks, what we are about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is what shapes everything in the Christian life. Paul is saying here, encouraging them to imitate him and the way he lived. Well, today, there are voices out there that will say something like this. You know what? Don't follow Paul. Don't follow him. Just follow Jesus just like us. Just follow Jesus just like Don't follow Paul because they're, they're upset with Paul. They, they call him homophobic, misogynist, or whatever. All these different title names are so popular in the culture today. And they want to reject Paul and say, don't listen to him. But Paul gives a very strong warning in this passage of the need to follow his example because we are so easily swayed and we so easily move away from the gospel. Well, the clarity that he brings in here, first of all, he does it through contrast. He does it through contrast of different types of salvation, one a false type of salvation, one a genuine uh, salvation. Uh, First of all, uh, we see that in those that boast in the flesh, these mutilators, these people that wanted to encourage people to go back and be uh, circumcised to follow the Old Testament law. And these were all outward things that were meant to point to inward realities, inward changes. But in the Old Testament, God's people just kept falling away. They, they served in a ritualistic way, but their hearts were always far from God. And so we see in this particular passage right here, that the the need to contrast a salvation that's based on works with salvation that is based on grace. Uh, Look with me, if you would, in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And then he says in verse 3, for we are the circumcision. He's saying this is who people are to identify, not the circumcision of uh, a flesh sense, or an outward circumcision, but those who have been circumcised of the heart. He goes on, he says, who worship by the spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. When he speaks of putting no confidence in the flesh, he's speaking on anything that man can do or we can do. We're called to trust in what Christ can do. Christ and him alone. And it's a spiritual work that God does within the heart. It doesn't come about by observing uh, outward observances. I know that uh, years ago, before I came to faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I had a, a, a young man ask me, he said, John, you claim to be a Christian, but why do you live the way you live? Man, I thought about that for a while. Because over the past few months, I've been trying to clean up my life. I've been trying to quit doing certain things and trying to go back to church on a more regular basis, but I found the more that I did that, the more frustrated I was. I was trying to clean up my life somehow that I could make myself acceptable to God. That question haunted me. Then one night in the spring of 1980, I was changed. Basically, I did what Paul talks about here. I I let go of some things that were holding on to me. I chose to turn away some, some things, some sins, some major idols in my life. And I said, Lord, if I never had these experiences in my life, if I never had this, I want you. It was a conscious turning away in my life. And as I look back on that experience over the months, I began to realize the old things had passed away. Behold, all things had become new. God had changed my heart. I'd been saved. I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. There wasn't a a focus on the ritual. It was on what Christ and what God can do to bring about salvation in my life. The Bible says concerning this this spiritual birth, this prophesied for in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah chapter 31, the scripture says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers of the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, God was faithful. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. He's saying, he's gonna change your hearts. He's gonna give them a new motivation and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sins no more. Did you get that there? He says, and no longer shall one of his neighbors teach others. He said, he's not talking about putting down... The teaching and and the beauty of of God's gift of teaching uh, to his people. He's talking about knowing good and right. He's saying that people are observing these because they're they're fearful of what other people say. People tell them that's what the right thing is to do. So they're, they're doing what other people tell them to do. Saying, I'm gonna, there's gonna be a day in which I'm gonna write my law on your heart and you will know right from wrong, not motivated, motivated from exterior uh, circumstances and situation and people. You'll be motivated from within. So that's what Paul is saying. If we're gonna be justified before God, it's not gonna be by observing rituals. It's, it's going to be about allowing God to change our hearts and for us to boast, boast and trust in what Jesus Christ has done for our salvation. You know, the proper answer to that question, why should I let you into my heaven? It doesn't have anything to do with us. The answer is simply this. My boast shall be, my hope shall be in Jesus Christ, in him alone for my salvation. That's your only hope. Forsake your works. Forsake your self-justification. This is for the lost, yes. But you know what? We as Christians, we, we, we get away from the gospel and we need to come back to the reality of what true justification is, and live and believe in light of that. Well, in this passage right here, there's a continuation of that justification. Paul talks about beginning in uh, verse uh, verse four. If you look there, though, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more, a heritage. He, he's basically talking about his heritage and his pedigree. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was an esteemed tribe. It was a leader tribe among the people of Israel. It, was, it had a lot of value uh, to being from that, It kind of prestige. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. All these things he was born into, these are things that he did not achieve himself. And then there's some things here that he could brag on to justify himself before men, make himself feel good about himself. Uh, He says, as to the law, he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees uh, came about about 200 years before Christ. And they were people that were committed to observing the law, but they went too far. They began to add extra laws to God's law in order that they might observe things in such a purity in their life and observance and others could see them the way they were living in order to kind of boast before other men. They added to the law. And they were very, Paul says, he was zealous to that. Uh, He even persecuted the church. We could go back and look at that. He he, He knew he was right. And then he goes on, he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, he was not talking about he didn't, that he believed that he had never done anything right. He was saying that in a public life, before men, nobody could accuse him. But he came to a point where all that he saw, all that he valued, all that that, 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 that meant to him, and it meant everything to him. He had prestige. He was on the right side of history from his perspective. He says in verse seven, but whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. If you go back and read in the book of Acts about Paul's salvation experience, chapter nine, I believe in nine, you'll see that God just came up and showed up and showed showed. Paul who he was. I mean, he, he he was just dumbstruck by this. He was literally stricken blind physically. He couldn't see. He said, who are you, Lord? Jesus said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. He was persecuting the church. He didn't realize he was he was persecuting Jesus. He didn't realize he was persecuting God. God changed his life, opened him up, set him on a different path, changed his life. And he goes on to say, he says in verse eight, indeed, I count everything a loss compared to the passing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish." And count them as rubbish. What's happened in Paul's life right here is that he has come to the place where he's exchanged his own self-righteousness for God's righteousness. He's exchanged some kind of religious, social, righteous, and right standing for the righteousness of God that is in Christ Jesus says he counts all these things as rubbish, as dung, as refuse in order that he might possess Jesus Christ. Here's the thing about self-righteousness. We want to hold on to our self-righteousness. We want to hold on to our justification. Some of you are in arguments with a spouse or family members and you are right. And you are going to hold on to that right because you want to justify yourself over somebody else. And what you need to do is you need to go back. I beg you, go back and remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let it humble you. Let it break you so that you might see You're not so right. Your righteousness are filthy rags before holy God. And the only thing you deserve, because you're holding on to this self-righteousness, I deserve this. I deserve to be right. And the only thing you truly deserve is the wrath of God. yourself. See the gospel for what it is that God graciously gave to you, not because you deserved it, not because you've earned it, but because God loves you. And he gave his son in your place in order that you might have his righteousness. You see, that's the problem with self-righteousness. You, cannot, you can't hold on and reach for Christ's righteousness. You can't reach out and possess it and hold on to it and cherish it and, and, and honor it and possess it with joy that we have right standing with God because of what Jesus Christ did for us. We cannot possess that if we hold on to our self-righteousness. We can't open up our hands to the gift of righteousness that God gives us. Folks, self-righteousness, self-justification is an enemy of the gospel and we must let go of it. That's what Paul is saying here. We cannot, we cannot live with that and live gospel clarity in our lives. We cannot, and we'll, we'll communicate the wrong gospel if we're holding on to these things. Well, Paul also says we need gospel clarity for sanctification. We needed it for salvation. We need it for sanctification. In verse 10, look with me if you would in verse 10. Paul says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so he's talking about knowing Christ. He's talking about progressively knowing Christ. He's talking about knowing Him in a way that you and I don't often think about it. I I want us to quickly, if you would, just quickly turn to John's Gospel, chapter 17. John's Gospel, chapter 17. And this is Jesus'. Prayer as he's going to uh, fixing to go to the cross. This is his prayer for uh, his disciples. This is his prayer for those of us who would believe in Christ to come. In fact, this is the only truly recorded prayer of Jesus in the scripture. What we often call the Lord's Prayer is a, a teaching outline for instructions on how to pray. But this is the only recorded prayer of Jesus in, in, in a long sense, except for what we've got in the other gospels concerning the, uh, where he's at Gethsemane, which uh, most likely is uh, a portion of this prayer. Uh, John's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, and he's praying, Father, the hour has come, that is for his crucifixion, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, when we talk about John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We ask somebody, or we ask children at Vacation Bible School, or we ask people in general, do you want to have eternal life? Practically everybody in Valdosta would raise their hand and say, yeah, I want eternal life. But in this passage right here, the equating of eternal life is according to Jesus, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sinned. John Piper, years ago, wrote a book that basically his thesis was Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is. You know what you get when you believe and trust in Jesus Christ for eternity, you get Jesus. You get to know him. And one of the things is, if I ask somebody, do you want want eternal life? Most people would say, yes, I want. But if you ask people, say, do you want to know Jesus Christ? Well, yeah, yeah. I want to know Jesus Christ. They wouldn't be as, as enthusiastic about it. But folks, that's what eternal life is. You know what? Here, here's, here's a thought. Now, I've shared this many, many a time. There won't be anybody in heaven who doesn't enjoy knowing Jesus Christ. You want to get an idea if you're going to heaven? Do you enjoy knowing Jesus Christ? Is there a joy? If there isn't, Maybe you need to be saved. If, if, if it isn't, maybe you've lost your joy, you've lost your way, and you need to be brought back to the gospel, the gospel clarity. that life's point, the, the point of life is to know Him. I know this studying this passage over the past couple of weeks for myself, it's been very good for clarity in my life. I needed to be reminded, I need to constantly be reminded that life is about knowing Jesus Christ. In order to know Jesus Christ, you've got to be willing to let go of some things with your time. You've got to be willing to prioritize spending time with Jesus in his word, in prayer, in Bible study, with friends, with others, encouraging us that we might learn and walk together, that we might imitate the life of Paul who was following Jesus Christ. God has called us to do that. Folks, that's good news. Don't let the devil just beat you up. Maybe that's not been your passion. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let it be good news that you embrace today in your heart and say, you know what, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to knowing Jesus Christ. And I'm going to make some adjustments in my life today that I might better know him. Sanctification. We see that. But we also see that we need gospel clarity for our hope of glorification. Uh, Look with me, if you would, in verse 11. Verse 11. that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is speaking here of that day in the future. And when he's speaking of any, t- any means possible, this is not a doubtful expression here. You can read this and say, well, you know what? He's kind of iffy here. He means, well, maybe this way I might make it, or maybe I go this way and I might make it or not make it or whatever. But what he's saying here is it could be that he was thrown to the, uh, the den of lions by Nero. It could have been that he was stoned. It could be by the means of just a natural death and dying. By whatever means, he says he's looking forward to the resurrection from the dead, that God is going to bring him up, just like he brought his son, Jesus Christ, up from the grave. He too will experience a resurrection also, be given new life. And so he's talking about the future, the future hope that is his. And this future hope is secured not by his efforts. Look, let's continue to read in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make make it my own because, because I keep trying hard and hard and hard. Is that what he's saying? No, because Christ has made me his own. I'm going to press on because I've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. What Jesus Christ has done for me in his death, burial, and resurrection, I'm pressing on and I'm going forward. You know, we can go through experiences in our life and we just keep failing, we keep sinning. We keep turning away from God, and we keep stumbling. And you might come to the place where you say, you know what, I am just absolutely tired of failure. And I'm not getting up. I give up. If this is all there is to it, I'm just giving up. But Paul is saying here, look to what Christ has not only done in our salvation and our sanctification, look what he's done for us in our future, that we will stand before him one day. He's pointing to the future. He's pointing out there and saying, Look! Get, 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 wave away the clouds, get rid of the voices, our self-voices and the voices of others about failure. And he's saying, I have secured for you a future. I've done it through my blood. And there will be a day, there'll be a new day that we sang about when there will be no more sin. Sin will be totally eradicated from us. And you will be perfected and you will know Christ as you are known. God's saying, don't give up. That's not the last word. We we wanna say, this failure was the last word and Christ is shouting to us through the spirit of God. That is not the last word. The last word is over here after you die and you stand before me and I will make you complete and there will be no more sin and he will wipe away our every tear and there will be a new day and all things be made new. These old bodies that are breaking down and wearing out will be made new again. There's a better day coming. There's absolutely a better day coming. And Paul is calling us to gospel clarity. If we are to finish the race that is set out before us, we must remember. We must fight to remember, we must preach the gospel to ourselves. We must preach the gospel to the ones we love, those around us, those that need encouraging. We must bring the gospel to them. And we must boast in the power of Jesus, not our power, but the power of Christ to make all things new. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord God the opportunity that you've given us to hear the gospel afresh through the words inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul's writing. I thank you, Lord God, for this this wonderful outline of gospel clarity and salvation, gospel clarity and sanctification, gospel clarity and glorification. I pray that, Lord God, that we would make Christ our boast. We would not boast or we would not trust in anything else but His righteousness and that's what we would hold on to, the gift of righteousness that He grants to us. Jesus Christ, I praise you and thank you that you came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. You are our hero. You came and lived the perfect life in my place, in every genuine believer's place or anyone here today that would cry out to you and say, Jesus, I believe you did this in my place. You came to live the perfect life I could not live. You lived it. And for me, you died the death I deserved to die. Thank you, Jesus. I trust in you. You are my boast. I wanna encourage, you never boasted in Jesus Christ, that you would let that be your boast today. I trust in Jesus. He is my only hope. He is my only righteousness that I can stand in the righteousness of Christ before God. He's my only chance for acceptance before God. I trust in him. And for all of us who are believers, may we likewise remember that. And though we fail, may we remember Christ has the last word and there is a new day coming and we can get up Because, because our Savior lives and He has got for us, provided for us, a new day. And sin will be ultimately defeated. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.